welcome back to Try Not to Die. I'm your drow missionary, Noel Prudo, and I'm here with our lone hero. Lisa Condemi, a.k.a. Gorgonzola. Bad at deceive, good at disturb the weave. Ooh, yes, yes, yes. That might be that might be a good one to enter with when you finally meet your mom. <laughs> do you think you'll do an intro Come when you meet your mom? Out. Do like a rhyme? Wow, now I'm gonna. <laughs> Hi, mom. It's I'm me, your Gorgonzola. Daughter. Guess you didn't bother. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible, folks. Well, make sure you are ready to explain what you're doing with your life a million times because you're meeting your family. It is time for the recap. Last time, our hero found herself before the massive form of a highly self-aware abominable Yeti, desperate for dinner. Drawing the beast's attention, Zola scrambled into the cover of the brambles while the elves continued to make their escape, hiding in the high trees. Utilizing the environment around her, Zola managed to get enough space between her and the Yeti, forcing the creature to give up or risk being separated from his pack. Rejoining her potential allies, she learned that they were a group known as the Elves Beyond, led by the high elven warrior Fenchy Fluffler. After earning a bit of their trust, Zola learned that this group was escorting the winter Aladrin she had tried to save, Dr. Blushtry Flocon, to the elven capital of Iverholm. Unfortunately, along the way, the curious or foolish behavior of Dr. Flocon had gotten the elves captured, but thanks to our hero, they were once again free to complete their journey. Before bed, Zola took the time to make some calls, first to Captain Six and Ciceros, who unfortunately did not or could not respond, and then to Smite to update him about what was happening and where she was headed to next. Though he tried to keep his usual facade, it was clear that the paladin was worried about Zola, pushing our hero to move on to other topics to keep the focus elsewhere. She learned that the evacuations and current work of the Order of the Fallen God were actually going pretty well, and that the main issue was actually Marfin. The mage was nowhere to be found, and Flay was apparently trying to break into his store. Checking on the mage didn't prove fruitful, as he seemed to be distracted and stressed, unwilling to go into many details aside from what was immediately being asked. Zola hung up, feeling simultaneously hopeful and worried for her allies and their efforts to fight against this seemingly unstoppable empire. Turning back to the elves, Zola learned more about Dr. Flocone's work. It turned out the Eladrin was a researcher for the company in the Feywild known as Unsealycorp, and she had spent her time trying to understand the weave. In doing this, she discovered that there had been some strange incidents occurring across all the planes, similar to things Zola had experienced on the Material Plane and read about in the Hidden Library. Dr. Flocone had, to Unsealy Corp's displeasure, left the company and traveled to this plane, hoping to meet with the High Queens of the Elven Nation, thinking that they and their resources could prove useful to face this issue. A corporation through and through, they worried this impending danger could strike fear into the hearts of investors and stockholders. Relatable. Something they'd prefer to delay as long as possible. Through their discussion, Dr. Flocone revealed that whatever was happening was indeed happening on a larger scale, and perhaps Zola's intel on spell shards and the occurrences on the material plane, coupled with this Eladrin's research, could be useful in addressing the potential calamity. Worried and unsure if it would be best for her to stay with these elves and assist in their quest, or head to Afinage and find her mother, Zola settled in for the evening, exhausted from the chill of the Willard Winter Wood. The next morning, Zola awoke, alone, having chosen to sleep longer and meet up with the elves Slept later. Slept in like a teen. <laughs> Slept. 
<laughs> Gosh, five more minutes <laughs> before she was even uh, fully up. She received a bit of mail via paper bird, a message from Lord Tinderdick addressing her as the carrier of the shard. <laughs> which I mean, she just isn't on multiple levels. <laughs> before you asking, actually got it wrong, man. <laughs> one out insulting, and two not that being a courier is insulting, but to say that what Zola's relationship was with the shard is merely that of a delivery person is just untrue and now also the shard isn't in her possession so she certainly is not a carrier and then he asked her to meet with him on neutral ground the stellar stronghold at harvest peak in two weeks time now she just has to find her mom head to the astral sea get the shard and find this meeting place super easy after taking another moment to send off her divination homework and a quick letter to her papa zola set off still in flying ahead to scout for the elves and any potential threats her travels through the wood were thankfully not so difficult, rejoining her group when they stumbled upon a frozen hunting party, more members of the first might who didn't survive the grueling conditions of the wood. This did provide an opportunity for the group to refuel and re-equip themselves, but it also drew the attention of a number of will-o'-wisps who had attempted to steal the souls of the haggard travelers. Were it not for Zola's heroism, both her bravery and the actual spell, they may have succeeded, but thankfully our hero was there and the party made it out relatively unscathed. Zola again, proving that she was not like the enemies who looked like her. The party traveled a bit longer before coming upon yet another group. This one much more alive and made up of orcs. Realizing this may be her best shot to meet them and see her mother, Zola broke from the elves, wishing them well and promising to find them once she had sorted all of this family drama. And also kind of dropping the huge bomb that she is essentially orcish royalty. And that is where we Sorry are right now. <laughs> you turn back to face your people, seeing that they are all now looking towards the bushes where you hide. No longer are they enjoying their meal. You see that some of them are reaching for their axes and they're beginning to ready themselves Ooh. for a potential battle. You see one younger male is approaching where he heard the noise coming from. Um, Can I run away and hide? Um... Yeah, but first have they, seen me yet? they haven't seen you yet. They okay. know that something is happening over there, and just from a first glance, you see that this group does seem pretty well armed. They vary in age and gender, which I think automatically kind of speaks to you. You already knew based on like Mascar in a lot of ways that your people are built just based on strength, not mm -hmm. necessarily, and strength could mean a multitude of things, but certainly not based on age and gender and stuff like that. So you see a very mixed group of orcish people. Mm -hmm. um, you see one, a large blonde haired woman calls out and you hear the snarling sound of wargs as they exit camouflage. Yeah. These snarling pig faced wolf creatures who bare their teeth, excitedly looking around, trying to scan the woods. Uh, if you want, you can roll a stealth check since you are you want to kind of come in on your own terms. Yes, I am definitely when I see them, I am uh, retreating to the shadows beneath the trees. Okay. <sighs> really rough, guys. Uh, two and a three. And with a natural 20 on their perception check. <laughs> uh, right, so there's that plan gone. <laughs> so you go, you see them coming towards you, and you this is right after you looked back and noticed that the elves are already gone. And the moment you look back, you, you like look around, you're trying to slide into a place. You begin to like try and pull yourself through. The brambles get caught on your clothing, your big puffy jacket. You're kind of trying to pull yourself free as the bushes are opened and this young orcish man looks to you and then looks to your sword 
Fuck, I was going to try to hide it. Oh, why Lasana! did I use... Tongues cast by Dr. Falcone recently translates the tusk. The group looks shocked, murmuring and orcish as you suddenly come into view. Um, they are all kind of talking amongst themselves, and you watch as this larger male, covered in lacerations over his like very muscled body, thick black armor plating, and a shaved bald head, stands and says something in orcish to you, which, again, thanks to Tongues, very helpful that I remembered to cast that on you before you had this encounter. Um, you understand. Who are you? How did you come to possess the tusk? Hello. How many people are surrounding me right now? A dozen. They were all kind of sitting around this campfire. This is like a circular clearing that you're walking up to, essentially. My name is Bree Camembert. Nice to meet you. Give me a deception check. I'm going to have this guy roll an insight check against you. I'm so upset that I was really planning to leave behind the tusk. You have fucked my plans, Noah. Two, so a one. With an 18 on insight, this orc begins to approach. He's looking at you very cautiously. You can almost tell that he's trying to suss out some sort of illusory magic, as if you're masquerading as something. Like, he almost doesn't believe what he's seeing right now. I, um, like, back up a couple steps as he's approaching me and go, um, and if you mean this, and I gesture to my sword, this is like all orcs in the Empire have this. It's a classic sword to have. Or you can roll another deception check. I'll roll another insight check. Nine. Seventeen. Zola just, like, in this moment, like, had so many different plans for the way that this could go, and being caught and recognized pretty immediately is throwing her off, and she's just lying through her teeth. Your eye of Groomsh clocks this with its battle-ready kind of tendency. It sees the blonde woman do something that you recognize, cast Expeditious Retreat on herself, and you watch her see zips up and she's suddenly right in your face grabbing onto your lapel why do you lie to us i i don't know if i can trust you the muscular male orc kind of puts a hand in front of this blonde woman do you tell the truth to total strangers all the time i think we are the ones who can be asking the questions right now come here half blood carrying the tusk who are you where did you come from my name is Zola. Um, I'm 18. I came from the capital, Aurelia, by way of Balderheim. And um, this jacket is new, so could you maybe let go of me and we'll, we can all just talk? All of the orcs, again, full eye contact with you. No one breaks, but you hear this orc in front of you go, Kunik, let it go. And you see the blonde orcish woman releases you, kind of in, in a way that you kind of stumble back. She uses such force to let you go. She takes a step back, and you see that she's already menacingly holding her great axe. This man kind of tilts his head, again, looking you over. You are from the south. Yes. I don't know why you call me half-orc like that, but 
I'm not your enemy. I'm I'm looking for Afanash. Well, you have found the right people to lead you. We hail from there ourselves. Will you help me get there? You see this orcish woman with graying kind of black hair is like approaching you and is eyeing you with... At a, you know, you kind of briefly look up and see what people are looking at you. You're getting a mix of reactions here. You're getting a lot of anger. You're getting a lot of distrust and suspicion. Obviously, you know, Zola hasn't been very forward here. But you also are seeing a lot of amazement. You see that this woman is looking at you with the shock and awe of someone who's like, you brought back something that we never thought that we would see again. And she looks at you and she goes, You have traveled far, young one. And with that blade... Do you even know what you carry? I'm carrying a lot of stuff. I would love to actually put it down. That is fine with me. And you see the blonde woman goes, What made you think you were even worthy of holding it in the first place? Oh. Don't. Don't be deceived. This sword is mine and it belongs to me. You could try and take it from me, but you wouldn't hold it for very long. There is a strong pause here. Give me an intimidation check with advantage. Okay, I'll, I'll hold the tusk out to her. Um, you hold the tusk out to her. Um, natural 20. And a 19. <laughs> with a natural 20? And without even knowing and understanding the true orcish customs that are actually at play here. You see that this woman, Kunik, as you learned her name was, just continues to stare at you. She's so furious, and she's it's only escalating because she has seen you you stood up to her in such an intense way. You held your ground, and she does not take it from your hands. But she looks like she really wants to. I stick it in the snow in between us. You've got a nice fire going. Let's all sit and talk. After all, I might be half human, but I'm also half orc. You could show me a little bit of hospitality. After all, you are my first impression of uh, the people above the mountains. So far, the orcs in the capital have been a lot friendlier to me. There is another long pause as you see them kind of looking around at each other. This larger orc in front of you smiles and outstretches his arms. Brothers and sisters, this is a joyous day. The tusk has returned! And the group leaps to their feet, cheering. The orcish woman with the black hair um, kind of rushes over and begins to like pour you a drink from some sort of like clear bottle and shoves it into your hands. You see another orc kind of going over to the fire where they have like a, like a stew bowl kind of persistently heating there, goes over and scoops something, puts it into like a simple clay bowl and hands it to you. As you watch the group laughing and like talking, to, I mean, so many overlapping voices now that you really can't get a feel of what people mm -hmm. are saying, but you are kind of being ushered into this group group now and um, they kind of put you down close in front of the fire. Um, the woman with the black hair who gave you the drink goes, Salud! Uh, and takes a shot and you watch as all the other orcs raise their drink, say Salud! and begin to drink. Zola raises it and then throws it over her shoulder into the snow. Give me a deception check. 
10. 10. All right, I'm going to roll a... Actually, you know what? Would it be better? Deception's minus one, right? Yeah. So it's actually sleight, sleight of hand. hand. So this would be 11 then if you roll a flat. Then, yeah. Okay. So I will... That is technically higher than the vast majority of their passive perception. Right. I'm going to roll a perception check for one individual. Right. Probably Kunik. It was indeed Kunik. <laughs> you put down the cup. Immediately you feel that someone is grabbing it from you and pouring more in and shoving it in your hand. <laughs> um, it you. smells strong it's very herbal and it definitely has like a burning sensation but you see that like as people some of the younger folk like shake their heads as it like goes down their throat others older ones are just like laughing and clapping each other on the back sola uh, is like palm sweaty like shaking as all of this starts to happen the group continues to cheer as you are welcomed with open arms literally to your people Thank you. Thank everyone you. except for the muscular woman with the braided blonde hair, Kunik, who seems to eye you as you are welcome to this group. Um, as you are brought down and like be people begin to settle, you notice that they've all kind of, they pulled their stumps in and they're all kind of gathering closer around as you're huddled next to the fire. I'm kind of leaning over to the, um, to the older woman who spoke to me uh, right after I had had that kind of face off with Kunik going, I'm sorry, I, it's not really safe to reveal your identity in the empire. Oh, no, it totally makes sense. Uh, scum of the earth, those empire folk. Uh, I, I respect that secrecy. Uh, and you see another one comes over and goes, Oh, sit down, sit down. I want to hear, I want to hear. Tell us, tell us, tell us how you got here. And then the larger orc kind of raises a hand and goes, First, some introductions. Please. I, I am Telegio. You've already met Kunik. He gestures to the blonde orc. This is our healer, Pharmas, the older orc, Mimolet, Svis, Borata. He names a few more before turning back to you. We are one of the squads sent out for hunting, gathering, foraging. Tell us, how, how did you get here? How have you come so far, little half-blood? Um, it's such a long story. Um, it will probably take all night to tell, but um, I was on a boat, and I teleported, and I traveled beneath the mountains, um, all to find my people. Tell me, do you think Zola would say anything else about her story? That's what she's saying for now. Okay. That's exactly what she says for now. <laughs> uh, you see Telegio nods, kind of, there's like a moment where... It's a classic scenario of they have been like, tell us a story. And you're like, not too much of a story. Bullet point, bullet point, bullet I was point. basically, um, <laughs> I was here, I was here, I was there. You see like disappointment begins to kind of grow amongst the crowd. And you see Telegio kind of looks to you and goes, well, the tusk. How, how did you come across the tusk? Um, I guess I've kind of always had it. That's... I, how? The tusk was lost. It was left behind. No, it was left to me. My, I mean, you'd have to ask her, and I guess maybe we will, but um, my mother left it to me. She fell in love with a human man um, and had me, and then she left behind 
um, this armor that I wear. You haven't noticed yet because I'm wearing a parka and snow pants over it. But <laughs> um, they see the glistening armor. armor. And um, that sword. It was kind of crappy, actually, but it looks a lot better now. You see Telegio looks to the others and you see the older one kind of muttering to herself goes, she has made the connection without undergoing la cultura. Or... What's that? You see Telegio uh, speaks up. There comes a time in every orc's life when they stop being a child and start becoming an orc. And this is like the, uh, the halfling and human sweet 16, quinceanera. Bar mitzvah. Yes, bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. It's a coming of age ceremony. It's, it's something that is done before you are considered a full, full orc in and a way. And so you, you need that to bond with the tusk which would cause it to reveal its true form so you get a sword everyone gets a sword no certainly not this sword it's you get your first weapon yes but it is more there's a number of trials i you got this from your mother yes and i definitely went through trials give me an insight check 11. This group is kind of in shock. I mean, a half work from the South got here, not really talking about her story, or at least not going into creative details, which mm-hmm. for maybe the least insightful people is kind of like, oh, boring. Right. Um, but for those who are insightful might be like, why aren't you telling me the details? It's a long way from our old home and from Aji to here. You had to have gone through some trials and our people love to hear about like the things that you had come up against to reveal your true might. Mm -hmm. So as you're kind of saying these things, you kind of get this ripple through the group that is a bit of confusion. Um, But you see Telegio kind of waves them off and goes, well, I, for one, am just happy that the Tusk has returned. Thank you. I think Zola kind of recognizes that she's feeling really reticent in this moment her initial plan was to maybe try and like track this party and was not really looking to like make waves entering affinage so this is going differently than she thought but um she looks around to everyone and says i know it must be strange just some you know teenager showing up with your big sword but um i'd like to keep some secrets at least until i talk to my mother i came here to find her and I think it would be a betrayal to her and to myself to share my full story with anyone before I share it with her it's important to me give me a persuasion check with advantage okay 12 the group kind of mix of reactions you see like the older woman and the and the woman with the dark hair who has like an undercut who gave you your drink are kind of like nodding in a way that's like I, I I see the logic in that. You see a few of the others are kind of like rolling their eyes and like kind of just like oh, I was hoping for like a good story. Mm-hmm. Like um, you know we're we're partying. Like this is kind of a bit of a slowdown right now. <laughs> um, but one person out of everyone has maintained their position this entire time, and it is Kunuk and. As you finish your sentence, she goes, Bullshit. 
this is all big talk for someone who is human born. And the crowd kind of turns its attention to this warrior who now rises and begins to approach you. She is one of the more armored soldiers. She, like, similar to this Telejo, who has been kind of leading the conversation, based on the amount of armor he's wearing, you're like, this guy is clearly the one in charge of this mm-hmm. specific group. But Kunik is clearly mighty enough that she has she has rank here. Standing. Yeah, she has standing here. And it may, be not, it may not be as simple as, like, he's the commander, we always follow the commander. It might be like, Who's who's showing off the might more? You know, like who's more mighty in this moment? And that's who we respect and respond to. Uh, and as she rises, she begins to approach you. And I also rise. You rise, and the two of you are now standing on opposite sides of the fire. The f- shadow is kind of flickering across your face. She looks to the rest of the group. You all forget yourselves. This one has not undergone La Cotura. She has not lived here. She has not fought our fights. Whatever facade you wish to hold in the face of this stranger, I will not partake in. You lived amongst the enemy. These old fools may respect your ambiguity and whatever sort of title you are implying. But here and above all, we respect action. The orcish woman who gave you the drink rises. Kinnick. Do not disrespect her. She just arrived here and Please. it is a miracle of Groomsh. I don't need anyone to speak for me. Kunik, I am occasionally full of at least a little bit of bullshit. But to imagine that I haven't fought the same fight as you? I lived amongst the enemy. You said it yourself. That was my trial. That was my culture, whatever you call it. I came all the way here to find you. Some reception. Prove that you are worth finding. And you see she takes a knife from her jacket and she cuts her hand and she kind of whips it out towards you and blood just kind of sprays against your face, kind of like hitting your eyes. You instinctually kind of blink and go to wipe it away. And you see that there are like gasps and murmurs kind of beginning to echo through it, kind of a mix of excitement and fear about what's going on. I invoke Ildaglio. The man, Taleggio, gonna have to translate for me. Turns to you. The cutting. A battle until one yields or dies. Do you rise to the challenge? It would be wrong of me to come here, meet my family for the first time, and then take down one of your allies. I request that we refrain. Give me either an intimidation or persuasion check. Definitely intimidation. That's what I'm going for. Six. You see Kunik steps into the fire, kind of shattering the wood, kind of little structure that was there burning steps forward and steps right in front of you and goes you are not in a position to refuse and the older orc speaks up and you would be forfeiting what you have Kunix sneers now or never prove yourself la kotora it starts now um, I summon a mage hand above me and then reach up and like slice through the palm of it. 
and spectral kind of arcane blood just kind of scattering on her. She she looks up and there is a bit of um give me an insight check. Twelve. Difficult to read, but she wasn't expecting magic. And you see um, the group begins to kind of back up. They're pulling their stools away now. You see Telegio steps forward. What weapons do you use? Kunik takes... You watch as she literally just takes her battle axe off, throws it into the ground. Takes a knife off, throws it into the ground. Takes off her jacket and is just standing there as bare as one could be in this cold, cold environment, wearing essentially like a bando and this black makeshift armor dignifying her rank. She looks at you. I need only my hands. Zola, not breaking eye contact with Kunik, um, walks to the side over where her bowl of stew is, um, takes the rifle out of its holster, puts it on the ground, takes the rod off of her back, puts it on the ground, and then, you know, raises the tusk to eye level and takes a defensive stance. I'm better with steel. Let's roll initiative. Thirteen. Oof. She rolled a twelve plus two is a fourteen. Damn. She's gonna adjust before you. You hit your position. You see Telegio raises his hand. Cut! And you watch as, in a flash of movement, Kunik is already in front of you. She's going to use her first action to try and grapple you to the ground. 23. 16. In a fluid movement, she's grabbed your lapel. She kicks out your legs, and you find yourself suddenly falling onto your back. Your head hits the ground, and while she's on top of you, you watch as she winds up and boom, boom, hits you in the face twice. Natural 16. And a 10, so um, 19 is the lower of the two. Yeah, I'll take, I'll take the hits. Okay, you take 12 damage uh, as you feel this fist collide with your face. Blood immediately starts leaking from your nose. You're, you feel it in your mouth. You must have bit something. That is her, um, those are her attacks. She's now going to action surge and um, is going to take three more attacks. Natural four on the first one, which is a 13. You watch her wind up for another one and you manage to like turn your head and she punches into the snow. Uh, natural 18 on the second. She manages to, as you're, as you're pulling back, she uses her other hand to like essentially squash your face into the ground. And then the last one is a 21 to hit. Yeah, that hits. You take another 12 damage. Okay. And you are currently grappled on the ground. Okay. It's an action to break the grapple or a, a, an athletics check? You can oppose the grapple with one of yeah, your attacks. I'm going to try and like turn us over in the, in the snow and uh, get my weight on top of hers. Sick. 29. <sighs> she rolls much lower this time. In hitting you a number of times, you watch. The group is like, oh, oh, you know. People are just excited. People are getting hit. And in that, she looks up, and you take advantage of that to grab her by the throat and roll her over and pin her on the ground. I roll her over, and then I spit some blood out onto her face and go, there's your cut. And then I will uh, drop the tusk and attack her with my hands exactly the way that she did to me. <laughs> It's not going to do as much damage, but I'm still going to do it. So I guess I have one more attack. 
Uh, 17. 17. That is going to hit. All right, it's seven damage. Okay, she'll Flat. And then I will action surge. We're burning it all, baby. Uh, Zola, incensed at this reception, I will bonus action Misty Step off of her back to the other side of the fire and say, let me ask you something. How old are you? I am 21, she says as she begins to rise from the ground. Old enough to put you in the dirt. Okay, fair. We're pretty similar in age, actually. I thought I might have something there, but... (laughs) (laughs) Normally, I do like an ageist thing against my (laughs) opponents, but you're kind of real close. I was going to roast you, but I guess you're just kind of also a young adult. I will try and lightning lure her through the fire towards me. Oh, shit. All right, strength save? Uh, Yes. Strength save 16. Teleporting to the other side of the fire off of her and then trying to suck her right back in the mouth. Absolutely sick. She rolled a five, but she's going to use Indomitable to re-roll. <laughs> and that's a two. Oh, shit. Um, she's getting up. She delivers her line. She turns and a lasso is suddenly... <laughs> and then yanked through the fire you watch as she stumbles forward completely shocked was not expecting i mean you've just pulled a double magic move on her and she was not prepared for that one d8 of lightning damage one lightning damage literally oh and you know what i'll say give me give me roll 2d6 for me 10 Okay, so she takes 10 fire damage as you pull her through these flames. She snarls in pain, and you watch as a little bit of magic flows through her, and she absorbs five. Uh, She only takes five of that damage. So she's got pretty similar stat block to me, I see. You yank her through the fire. She grabs her hands onto it. It is now her turn. She yanks you forward and is going to try and headbutt you. 22 to hit. Hits. 16 to hit, and the last one is a 19 to hit. I will shield so that I only take one of those, the first one. The first one catches you off guard. You thought you would have, like, you thought the flames would be enough to kind of throw her off her game, Mm -hmm. but you didn't realize she was going to be able to absorb elements on it. So the moment she's in front of you, she essentially yanks you into her, headbutting you. But as she goes to try and, like, essentially, like, box your ears, you throw up your arms and this arcane shield blocks both of them. She goes in to try and kick you down and you essentially still maintaining that shield blast her off sending her stumbling back a few steps that is going to be her turn she's now standing over you you feel the the arcane shield flicker away as she looks you in the eyes i'll give you that you're tougher than you look but you are still not worthy of lazana i put my fists together almost like i have like an invisible baseball bat and like swinging around like I'm swinging a sword. And then as I am like about to collide with her, bonus action, the tusk into my hands using my Eldritch ability. And then we'll hit her with the tusk. Oh shit. Go ahead and roll your attacks. Okay. Also, you took six damage on the one hit that did make it through. Thank you. Well, not thank you. <laughs> You're so welcome, Lisa. <laughs> 26. 26 is going to hit. 16 damage on the first one. Okay. Second hit is a 29. That'll do it. 13 damage on the second one. So 16 and 13, 29. Whopping hit as you cut into her. She is complete. I think 
Give me an insight check with advantage in this as okay. you summon the sword to your hand. And like are you doing moment... blade or or like like flat, flat side? Are you trying? I'm to like, like smacking her over the head with it. Okay. Like I'm literally like Baseball concussing bat, her yeah. with the side of the fucking sword. You hear a <laughs> bell ring as she clocked against the side of a head twice. Fourteen insight. She stumbles back. Everyone around is silent. Jaws dropped as you have just used an ability that only someone who could be bonded to the tusk, only someone who has been deemed worthy by the tusk can do. You watch as she stumbles back. She wipes the blood from her face. This is starting to get fun. Glad you're enjoying it as much as I am. Wow. Uh, What a fucking turn. (laughs) You watch as she summons her great axe to her hand using her Eldritch Knight ability. She's going to rush forward and make her three attacks on you. That's a 23 to hit. That's a 19 to hit. And that is a dirty 20 to hit. I will, again, shield two of those. Okay. You watch her come in with this axe. And on the third hit, it cracks through your arcane shield. Um, You feel it dig into your mother's armor. And there is a gush of blood underneath it. You take... 12 damage as that last hit, and then there is a plume of fire damage. Um, You take two fire damage. Then she's going to bonus action second wind and regain some HP. Now it is your turn. You see as she um, loosens one of her braids and begins to tie it up. (laughs) Second winding already. What? How do you know about that? All I heard was fuzz, static, (laughs) when you said a mechanic. Zola is annoyed that this is going on so long and does not want to come across weak in this moment and also I think is angry that she's even being forced to prove this for total strangers when she's absolutely proved herself to herself over and over I'm going to like a gust of wind kind of brings the fire over towards me for a second and then shoots out in a beam towards her as I'll cast Agonizer Scorcher at Ooh. a third level. Okay. Well, is there a save for this or do you roll attacks? It is a deck saving throw. DC 16. Okay. Here we go. She's already used Indomitable, so she can't re-roll that. And that is an eight. She fails. As caught unaware, up close and personal, you launch this beam of flame that just <laughs> engulfs her. Oh, shit. I'm rolling really good. 21 damage. Ooh. I rolled three sixes completely undoes her second wind. She's suddenly covered in flames. You see that she, with her one hand kind of holding her battle axe out, is like patting the flames down um, before she puts it back in her hand. Shocked. You've managed to learn a lot despite being raised by humans. I noticed you picked up your axe. I thought you only needed your fists. I figured if you're going to play with the tusk, perhaps I can play with my own. That sounded dirtier than I meant it to. I, a little. Oh, no, no, it isn't. This is a serious fight. Don't disrespect me. Uh, it give is me a wisdom serious. saving throw. You're apparently one of us is going to die at the end of this. I got an 11. I'm going to use Indomitable. Okay. It's a nat one, actually. You go to, essentially, you go to retort and suddenly find your body lock up. You are paralyzed as she casts hold person on you. Oh. That uh Can I counterspell? 
with the tusk? You certainly can. I will use the tusk's counterspell. You see that she presses her hand to her blade and kind of shows it out to you. And you feel for a moment this magical effect kind of swirling around you until you literally, with a swing of the tusk, feel the weave cut and the spell fizzles as you successfully counterspell. Stop that. Fight me or don't. She shocked watching you use the tusk in this way. There's a pause of confusion before she looks at you and just goes, Aah! and is going to use her orcish ability aggressive to move her speed towards an enemy of her choice that she can see or hear. So she literally just straight through the fire once again, flames still flickering off her as she runs towards you. This is your turn. What would you like to do? She's hurtling full speed. And she has essentially like, I'll, I'll say just a, she has about a foot on you in terms of like height. So this is a behemoth running towards you. As she is running angrily towards me, I will cast Thunder Wave in the hopes that I'll knock her back before she even can reach me. Okay. It's a constitution saving throw 16. Okay. She rolls, let me just check here. With a dirty 20, she saves. Okay, she'll still take half as much damage, but she won't be pushed away. Angle cut, we get a wide shot of her rushing towards you. You release this wave of thunderous energy that she literally just runs through. You watch as like, there is a pummeling effect. There's like bruises forming as the thunderous energy hits her, but she pushes forward and looks like she's trying to dive for you. Okay, it was 16 damage, so she takes eight. Okay. Her body collides into yours. She's making a grapple check again. 25. Yes, 26. You hold her as she collides into you. She's gritting her teeth angrily. David and Goliath battling it out. That is one of her attacks. She's going to use another to try and force the grapple again. Oh, that's a natural two. That's an 11. Um, she's, you still have to contest it. but I would meet it if I rolled a one. Uh, let's roll a one just to see if it happens. <laughs> Nope, it's a 26 again. 26. She continues to push, and there's a moment where you do slide back the snow and dirt kind of getting kicked up as she uses all of her strength to, to try and push you over, but you hold firm. She angrily snarls, holding your lapel, bringing you in for another headbutt. Um, it's a natural 17 to hit, plus her bonuses. Uh, so that is going to surpass your shield. You take yep. another six damage she's not using her blade right now she's literally she literally like with the pommel of it like cracks you in the skull okay um i recoil a little bit from this smack and rub my head and go you know what they're gonna say when they hear that you lost to some kid from below the mountains <laughs> i wait a long time for her <laughs> she holds you there say what? With, you're like both gritting the weapon <laughs> holding the weapon and she just goes all right, what What? What are they going to say? They're not going to say anything. They're going to laugh. And I'll ah. cast hideous laughter. Ooh, wisdom save. 16. <laughs> Baby, she fails. She goes... <laughs> starts laughing and laughing. She drops the battle axe. It sticks into the ground. I she drop falls the tusk to her too. Name. She's literally just on her knees, laughing and laughing, clutching her stomach. I turn around and look at Telegio and go, I don't I don't really have to kill her, right? Until she yields, so are you, that as you will. Are you yielding? I can't hear her. She's laughing too much. 
never. She's like gritting her teeth. There's a huge smile on her face. I can beat you up a little more if you want. You'll never beat me. You want me to beat you up or not? <laughs> I'm going to kill you. I can't tell if she wants me to beat her up more or not. It's very difficult to tell. I'll be honest with you. Do you think I have time to eat a little stew? Um, around uh, passes. Um, does she get a save on her turn? At the end of each of its turns, and each time it takes damage. Okay, she rolls again. So she does on her next turn. Still laughing. That's I'm a seven. actively eating stew. I actively walk over, put the tusk in the ground, sit down by the fire, and take a couple bites and look over at her. And I'm like, I actually never got the chance to sit down and get a bite to eat before um, you got all weird and started challenging me. She continues to laugh and laugh. You see, at this point, a few of the elders are like, <laughs> that's a classic trick. Classic. Gunig, <laughs> I can't believe you fell for that one. Um, she get another turn goes by for her. You use yours to eat, so she gets another save. <laughs> there we go. With a natural 18, she takes a deep breath, gritting her teeth. You are going to regret humiliating me. She runs towards you, her battle axe drawn. I prepare for her attacks, but I'm holding the spoon instead of the tusk. <laughs> Everyone's gonna get a kick out of it. Everyone loves it. Um, you <laughs> making friends quick. <laughs> That's why you do it. Um, you see, she charges towards you, and as she does, she disappears. Your turn. I will still, in one hand holding a bowl, and then the other hand holding a spoon, cast Thunder Wave again in the hopes that it would break her concentration and also, uh, you know move her back from me as I'm assuming that she is running towards me. What is the range? 15 foot cube. You <laughs> let out another rumble of thunder and you look around, you can't see her. Give me a constitution saving throw. Okay. 19. You briefly feel your vision tunnel, but close your eyes and <laughs> there's a burning sensation as the eye of Groomsh essentially breaks the blindness spell before it could take effect. Um, you can give me a perception check, though, because that means she had to drop invisibility to do that. Okay. Based on sight, right? Based on sight. 22. 22? This is fun. It's like an all-out brawl. I've never just burned through so many of my I've, spells before. It's, it's, this is exhilarating. <laughs> um, she, what actually catches her is this eye. This ability to sense battle tactics, the watching movements. Time almost slows as your eye catches her leaning back behind one of the trees nearby. She's about 30 feet away from you, um, having just let go of invisibility to cast blindness. But she essentially ducks behind the tree and has full cover at the moment. Stop hiding from me. I'll run after her and swing on her with the tusk. You rush around the tree, swinging the blade, and you see her there ready, already her battle axe drawn. Go ahead and make your attacks. Uh, 16 and an 18. She is going to cast shield okay. um, and block both of your swings as it against this arcane shield. You see, she at this point, though, she looks bloody. She's she's panting. She's clearly operating from a place of fury and desperation at this moment. That is your turn. So, it is her turn. She pushes you off with this arcane shield, and she, screaming in anger, just takes three, three swings on you. 
All of those are going to bypass shield. The lowest one was a 15 plus her bonus, which is plus 9. That's 24. So you get hit three times by the battle axe. Okay. 31 damage. As she hacks into you with this axe, you feel the first one strike into your bad shoulder. The second one swipes across, um, catching just like the edge of underneath your armor in your side. You feel like your ribs must be exposed at how deep it goes. Um, and the last one, she comes and she goes low and like, slices straight into your shins. You feel a surge of pain through your body. Um, that is her turn though. She is She can do nothing else. I'm feeling these hits take me down basically half of my hit points she just took away. I'm going to second wind. Oh my gosh. Lisa, stop rolling one on second wind challenge. I swear I have to roll a one on second wind every single time since the campaign started. Statistically, it seems impossible. I really feel like you've only rolled maybe once more than one and it might have been like a two. It's like four and below. <laughs> All right, well, I get back 10 hit points. Okay, least. still good. So, and you have your action still. Yes, okay. What are you at right now? 46. She's at 47. Oh shit, it's very even. It's very even. Um, I'm gonna try and grapple her to the ground now. Okay. 27. That is a natural four. So you, boom, tackle her to the ground. She is grappled. Literally, it's just a matter of strength. You push her over using the tusk, kind of pressing it against her battle axe. She's trying to hold it desperately to prevent you from like cutting her head off. And you feel that urge to continue that blade. Yes, I keep uh, like essentially raising the tusk over my head and like stabbing down into the snow and like trying to see like what parts of her I can catch. Oh, and you have an advantage on this because she's grappled. Good, because that was not a great roll. And that was the same roll. It might be okay though, it's a 19. 19 hits, she doesn't have shield. Okay. And she didn't, she didn't, she didn't bring her regular shield for this battle, so she is operating a lower AC. Well, that's um, 11 damage to her. 11 damage, and she is grappled. Her speed is zero. She is going to try and flip the grapple back onto you, same as before, kind of ending this fight the way she started it. She rolls a natural one. It is impossible for you to lose. Yes, I got a 15. She tries to literally roll you over, and you just slam her back into the snow. You feel the anger rising within you, the bloodlust growing. She tries again. That's a natural 18 plus her bonus. That puts her at a 27 for this second uh, grapple check. Ah. I thought for a second I got a 27 too, but I got a 17. Ugh, she rolls you over and is finally pinning you. Um, here we go. We just keep rolling around. You're just rolling snow. around on the ground, yeah. Um, My parka is down and it's getting really wet. She's just this, at this point, it, this is a classic moment where you, it's like, bit, bit, and she's just, this is her whole life. She's like furious. She won't make any more jokes. Um, Zola's like, pretty much everywhere I go, I get this reaction. <laughs> she is going to be using her grappling pin on this, so you are now restrained. Okay. As essentially she uses the rest of her turn to kind of like, wrap herself around you and like hold you into the ground. Her head right next to yours, she goes, yield. Uh, no. Your turn. Okay, I am restrained, so I can't make a weapon attack, right? So you can make attack, you just have disadvantage on the attack. You have disadvantage on um, dex saves. It's basically just like disadvantage on things. You can make a weapon attack as well, just with disadvantage. Okay. Once again, I like to think with all these thunder waves, Zola has been like 
blasting apart this campfire and like blasting banks of snow up so that yeah. like everyone sitting and watching is like covered in like snow on their eyebrows and their hair while we're like fighting in like hard cold ground uh, and I will once again thunder wave to try and push her off of me and also do damage and I'm gonna cast it at a third level Shit. Constitution 16. She does roll an 18. Okay. So she is going to pass on that. Well, I'm still going to do half of 48 damage to her. So seven is her half damage because I rolled 14. Okay. That is your action. She still gripping and grappling you feels essentially this. I mean, it probably feels awful to be this close to this as it ripples through her body. She grits her teeth and spits out some blood, but then she is going to essentially unrestrain you both still okay. grappling you she's gonna make the last of her attacks that's a natural 20 oh uh, she has a bench because you're grappled that is a 18 and then a 16 okay i'll shield so that two of those don't hit but so the nat 20 will the natural 20 is it's just like the other times it's the one that breaks through as you throw up the shield <laughs> And then finally it cracks through and you feel it hit right on your sternum, right in the middle of your chest. Kind of even covered in scars after this. What is your mother gonna say? Um, that is 17 damage. Um, as she roars in anger, um, kind of pushing you off as she finishes this. The grapple is over um, as she kind of starts getting up, clearly very injured. You know, once you take me down the first time, you gotta take me down again. I will, I will not lose this. I will um, take a running jump at her and try and land on her with a tusk. 24, 28. Both hit. 26 damage. The blade cuts deep in her, sending her stumbling back. Your second swing comes down, and the way it hits her, it's almost like a backhand against her face. It like slices from her ear to her jaw, um, and she stumbles backward, shocked, pain. Wearily holding herself up, she looks bad. She looks really bad. Seeing her look so bad, and I think Zola recognizing that this could be nearing the point where she makes like an actual lifelong enemy. Zola backs up a little bit and goes, I'm tired of fighting my own people. I've been looking for you for months. This isn't, this isn't what I wanted. What if there are more dangers around us? We're both weak and powerless now. It's a stupid ritual and I'll drop my tusk. Give me a wisdom saving throw. 11. Prove yourself. And you are pushed into your furious bloodline. She gets up, swaying, clearly off balance, on her last leg, mechanically. She has three hit points left. She stumbles over, swinging haphazardly. 21 to hit, a 23 to hit, and a 24 to hit. Yeah, those will all hit. 34 damage. I do go down and then come back up at one. 
as you throw down your blade and then feel your it's literally like you do the motion of throwing down your blade but then it's like it's almost like it's glued in your hand you like try and let go of it and you hear that voice in your head and you look up and you see swinging towards you haphazardly recklessly one cut against your chest another cut against your chest and one across your neck as blood gushes out and you feel yourself losing consciousness until the eye surges and you snarl back. The wound on your neck that would be fatal seems to almost heal slightly. You have one hit point and it is your turn. And I must attack, right? It doesn't say you have to kill, but I feel like in this moment, there is a fury that overtakes It is a blind rage. Yeah. Feeling furious, I will attempt to do the same back to her and uh, lunge for her neck. First is a 13. 13 misses. She manages to get the battle axe up in time, blocks the first hit. Second is an 18. 18 does hit. Okay. I have to ask you, are you doing lethal damage? No. Okay. Um, it, That's if I'm allowed to choose. I'll tell you right now. You can do non-lethal damage if, if you would like. I think that Zola, at least this is how I kind of picture it, before she knew the tusk and knew Groom, she knew herself, it was a blind rage, and now it is a blind, pointed anger, and she knows who the anger is pointed at, and it's not the people around her. It's Zola lashing out with violence and being driven to this, but she knows in this situation who she wants that violence to be directed at, and it's not the person in front of her but still compelled to attack. You swing out, and similar to you've done before, broadside of the sword, smack her in the face. You watch several teeth crack. She stumbles back, dazed. Second hit, straight to the crown of her head. She falls, tumbles to the ground. In your furious bloodline still, you are on top of her, your fist pounding into her face. You are Tyler Durden in Fight Club right now kicking the shit out of this young woman as she falls into unconsciousness and roars of approval echo throughout the woods as your people rise cheering you. You panting, even though you manage to keep with the intent, do non-lethal damage. Still have to roll that d20 at the end of the minute. Yes, roll the d20 as the, the rage begins to fade from you and you roar in essentially like this frustration, this fury at what is causing you to this channeled by this bloodline. Natural 20. So you do not swing out at someone. I throw the tusk down um, and while everyone is roaring their approval around me, I think Zola is just like, oh, I don't relate to this at all actually. Um, And just lets her, all that frustration out in a roar that is probably just seen as like what everyone else is doing. The group cheering continues to celebrate you. You are, it's it's literally like you scream. They all receive that as a scream of victory. They swarm around you. You feel your body get raised into the air. You limply allow it, not really necessarily engaging as they cheer and bring you back. You see uh, Telegio goes over to Kunik and grabs her by the armor and breaks it and tears it off of her and then grabs her and just drags her back to camp. 
and is sets she, her down. Is she okay? I'm saying to one of the women who's around me. Who cares about her? You, you were spectacular. I would expect nothing less from, and then you see Telegio raises his hand, kind of cutting off this woman. Quite a battle. Your strength is true. You are mighty. Thanks for recognizing that. Now, let us celebrate, for tomorrow we return to Avinage, and we bring this champion of Groomsh to the chieftain. The group roars in approval um, as you guys essentially continue to party into the night, so to speak. People are drinking. Things are getting passed your way. I imagine, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, is Zola still not drinking? Still trying to, like, keep herself from doing that? Or yeah, do you think she think leans in? Zola's like, I don't feel at home here yet. So continues to kind of, like, fake drink. The group is kind of getting drunk. There are a few mm-hmm. that aren't, that you can tell. Probably those are the ones on watch for tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, you t- you probably take a bowl of soup and begin to eat it to yourself, kind of replenishing your food. And you and you do see that uh, Kunik has been dragged and, like, leaned up against a tree. And the older orcish woman who has kind of been relatively nice seems to be, like, bandaging up her wounds. Essentially being, like... You, getting her into fighting shape once okay. again. Can I make my way over to them at some point during the night? Or, yeah. like, kind of close. I won't, like, approach Kunik, but just close enough that maybe this woman, like, notices me hovering a little. Yeah, I think that, like, you know, people at a certain point, the, like, people stop pestering you and praising you, and mm-hmm. it's just, like, people enjoying themselves. <laughs> and Thanks. then you are, kind of see them and through the crowd and kind of move through, and as you approach, this woman pulls herself to her feet and bows to you and goes, oh. you are indeed very mighty. Groomsh will be very pleased. You don't have to bow to me. Um, can I ask what happens to her now? Does she need armor? She will start from the bottom, like all those who are weak. She wasn't weak at all, though. That was probably the toughest fight I've had. Maybe ever. She was not strong enough. We were both, I mean, it was just whoever moved faster. She would have taken me down with her next swing, too. It was kind of more of a draw. But it wasn't. Gotcha. So, did you do this when you were younger? Lakotora is a, a, a number of trials. Combat is only one of them. So, I mean... I didn't get challenged, but Itaglio is, is different. Oh. She wanted the tusk, but she won't get it. Wait, she wanted my sword? She challenged you. The cutting. She wanted to cut you from your blade. Oh. Sever the tie so that she may take it on herself. Thus is the way that the Stregorede can be decided. If not by blood, then by challenge. A duel is one of the few ways you can truly prove your might. You say Stregorede. Is there a, a Stregorede now? Perhaps. And she looks at you. Soup's good. Do you do anything else with your evening? I will at some point uh, make my way over to Telagio, um, as he's Is he getting wasted? 
Uh, no, he's one of the ones who is not getting wasted. How far do we have to travel? It's only one day journey. We will arrive by um, next evening. Okay, and you guys sleep eight hours, right? Of course. Uh, we're not one of those filthy elves. Those, it's the one advantage they have over us is their stupid sleep patterns. But no, we are forced to sleep the full eight. And do you, you sh- just sleep out in the open here? I saw, you know, frozen parties and people being hunted. It's safe just to sleep here? With us on watch, we are one of the more elite groups. So we were actually sent out to retrieve some of the other groups that have gone missing in the past few days. Missing? And you can't help but think of the the goblin troop that was frozen and uh-huh. the one that got eaten by yetis. Yeah. Yes, there was um, one group that left a few days ago that we believe may have been caught in a blizzard and another that may have met their end in another way. So we are out retrieving um, weapons, supplies, bodies for the goblins. Oh. Well, I'm not um, ruining your plans by taking you back to Affinage because if you wanted me to head there alone and you guys keep doing your thing... This is far more important. Give me an insight check. Once again, it's an 11. He has some sort of... There is a the look of a zealot in this man's eyes. You can't tell the degree or like with the energy behind it, but he is excited that you are here and that you are carrying this blade and that you as you have hinted at, have some sort of royal blood. Anything else before you go to bed? I think I will call Smite as I'm falling asleep, like I hold my sending stone up to my chest and go, I've met my family finally. They're a lot different than I thought they would be. Just wanted someone to know where I am. There's a brief pause. As it, I, I, I mean, this whole event probably took way late into the evening. Yeah, so. this is like a really quiet, like self-conscious voice memo that Gorgonzola sends at 3 a.m. Just like uh, before she's going to sleep, like things are really different here. <laughs> and you see like, I mean, most of the other orcs passed out. They've been drinking heavily. You see the few that are on watch are kind of stationed in they they do look like they have a good confidence in what they're dealing with. They're kind of positioning themselves with the wargs. You see one of them's kind of doing like patrol around the area. Um, so you kind of like roll over and hold it to your chest and say that. And there is a brief pause before um, you get a call back. Sorry to wake you. I had four words left. <laughs> you know I'm awake. Oh yeah. I'm so happy that you found them. I hope that you're, well, I, I hope that you find your mother soon. Different makes sense. I'm proud of you. Thanks. Weird, but will you tell Manchego and Feta I said hi? I kind of miss them. I don't know why. Absolutely. You hear... Hey, Manchego! (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm going to go to sleep. Oh, you hear like a vague, like, scared child crying in there? Oh, fuck. I totally forgot. Oh, Uh, big L. uh, Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll tell them. Thanks for calling. I'm glad that you're okay. Good night, Smite. Good night. You set down your stone. Roll over. 
one last passing thought about everything that's happened and feeling the vacancy of your familiar at this moment, you slip off into unconsciousness. First, give me a wisdom saving throw. Wouldn't it be funny if Plebo showed up right here? Wouldn't it be hilarious? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if I was like, get him! <laughs> <laughs> no, wait! <laughs> wait, listen, there's nobody wanted! I get super advantage, or...? Uh, did you roll with did advantage in the first place? No, I rolled one dice. I'm just wondering if I can have super advantage. No. It's a four. Oh my god, how does this keep fucking happening? <laughs> Literally roll, I kid you not. Remember last time I rolled a 73, I believe? Uh-huh. And that meant it was off target because it was a v- location viewed once, and that's how teleport works. Mm-hmm. I just rolled a 71. So, once again... Slightly off, but for somehow, with a sense of your divination abilities, you feel the eyes of Plebo lurking as you slip deeper and deeper into sleep. Hope he doesn't have a jacket. Somewhere he shivers. <laughs> as you sleep, the weariness of the travel, the pain of this battle, the emotional whiplash of finding your people seeing that they are not what you expected and being thrown straight into the hellfire of combat with them. Sleep pulls you down, almost hungrily, and in moments you feel your body crash against something hard, solid ground. You blink, but still see only darkness. Darkness all around you. The void embracing you once again. You hear a voice flickering Half there, distant, unlike any of the other visions you've ever had. The place is familiar, but it feels like you're far away still, somehow. And you just hear, Stilton? You look around. You can give me a perception check if you'd like. Okay. This is based on sight, so with advantage. 19. 19. Stilton, is that you? Far in the distance, you see a flicker of light. It's very difficult to make out. It does seem to have color to it, but it's, it's just so far. It, it is, it's almost like winking out of existence every single time you look at it. Hey, can you hear me? Um, hello? I'll, I guess, walk towards it a little bit if I can. You rise. You're... you're Body seems to be listening to you. You're not incapacitated. I guess Isola also like taking stock of all of her wounds and everything that she has not really felt comfortable like taking care of in the night around these people that she doesn't know that well. Yeah, you like getting stripped and bandaging herself. She just kind of let herself stop bleeding. And surprisingly, you don't see any of the recent wounds. It looks like maybe they're all scarred already or something. It's it's very strange. You look around and again you hear. Laura, can, can you hear me? Yeah, who, who is that? I'm sorry. The flicker of light, faint, loud enough for you to just, just hear. As you get closer, it grows a little bit louder is that and louder. M- Marfin? Sorry to hug you into this. I'm so sorry. It, he's been speaking to me. Guarding them. 
helping me understand what I need to do. Helping me understand what I need to do. You stand there. You're still approaching, but the light, it doesn't seem to be getting bigger necessarily. It's, it's still flickering in the distance. You feel like maybe you're getting closer, but it's hard to tell. Who's he? Who's talking to you? And can I do an insight check or something and see if I can recognize this voice? Yeah, give me an insight check. Seven. I think that right now you're just a little overwhelmed by the space. You're not necessarily thinking clearly. It could be a number of voices. As you kind of think this through, you look back towards that light and the void flickers. You are in astral space. You're standing on the bloody ground of Grimch's floating fortress. You're standing before a Ferris wheel-sized circle, this massive gate that you're no longer in the astral sea. You're standing in an icy city. Elves walking to and fro, you flash again, you're suddenly back in the temple on Edgefell Island, then back in the void. And the voice is slightly clearer. You know who he is. You know what he wants. I'm so lost. Can't anyone just... What do I need to do to help you? The light grows brighter. Bright enough for you to now be able to make out the shard. As you see them, they look different. They look bigger. You see that what was once a small newborn-sized ball has grown into a toddler-sized humanoid, kind of still formed from countless glistening opalescent crystals. Though this form is no longer kind of jagged and irregular, it's almost as if the crystals have begun to order themselves, smooth and structure, kind of finding a sort of rhythm rather than just chaotic vibrating. As they grow closer, you see the eyes are no longer mismatched in size, though the irises and pupils do seem to have that same variation. As you look upon them and see them in this new childlike form, you also notice that they no longer are giving off as much of an uncertain, chaotic energy, but an intense, purposeful one. No longer chaos, but potential. It is as if more time has passed than you have experienced, perhaps evidence of further time dilation outside of the material plane. The shard walks forward as if standing on the darkness of the void, their form flickering as the connection remains limited and unstable. No matter what happens, you just have to follow the path ahead of you. Please, do it and maybe you'll live in the new world. You look so grown up. <laughs> Time does that to you. Yeah. As does experience, as I'm sure you know. I know. What does he say? As they begin to speak once more, you see the light begin to dim, as if this astral connection is suddenly kind of fading. Keep me here. You see them look at you and they go, I can't, I can't, I'm losing it. I, uh. Can I try to like grab onto them and like, like hug them to me? You throw your arms around this small child and try and pull them in close. Um, you still, it's, it's strange, like, one moment you're holding them, the next you feel your arms coming in as if they've disappeared, but then their presence is there again, kind of forcing it out, and they look at you. You have to listen to me. Don't trust him. 
Okay. I don't. Marfin is no friend of magic. And as he says that, what? you watch as they disappear. And you are once again left in a black void. But you do not yet awaken. You feel the openness of this vast space, no longer choking darkness, but almost like an empty plane. You feel a connection. You begin to understand this is all linked to your divination magic. This place is a doorway to many visions. It is the viewing point for much of your divination abilities. Perhaps even your portent come from here. And as you look around, you can't help but think to yourself, what else could it provide? Where there is nothing, is there not the potential of everything? What do you want to do? I think Zola just reaches a hand above her and lets a beam of lightning crackle out of her hand, seeing the way that light travels here, and if there is anything to illuminate, or if it is just truly nothingness. You throw out like a lightning lure that <laughs> crackles into the sky, spreading out as a lightning bolt would from a cloud, but from you, it scatters off. Nothing. Darkness around you. Mistra? Marfin? You call out. The voices echo. What do you want to do? What do you feel like you're trying to do here? I think I feel so alone in this moment. Like, they were not able to cut the tusk from Zola, but in planting this seed of doubt in Marfin has absolutely cut Zola in half. Um, and I guess she wants to... She wants to see him. Like, if I'm doing anything right now, it's trying to see where Marfin is in the world and what he's doing right now. This knowledge, this, like, doubt is burning at her inside. Okay. You focus your divination ability in this area, and that is a plane between planes. It is not a core of divination magic, like a spell shard or something. This is the equivalent of you are in the walls of reality, and you are able to peer through them, almost like some sort of fifth dimensional being. And as you do, you, you look and you turn, and you see as you turn, the space changes, and you are inside of what looks like a workroom, a study. It's not the one that you're familiar with. It's not It's not the back room of Marfin's Magnificent Magical Menagerie. It looks far more hectic. When you were in Marfin's back room, it's kind of looks like a study and it's very homey. It's very beautiful. It's well, well taken care of. This looks like an actual wizard study. There's papers everywhere, stacks of messy books, half-eaten meals, some of them molding. It's, it's a mess in here. This is the room of someone who is desperately trying to figure things out. You look around, and as you look around, you kind of suddenly feel like you're on autopilot, like you mm -hmm. are not the one in control here. 
You try and get a glimpse of the space since it seems to branch off into other rooms. You see strange glowing test tubes, machines, what almost looks like a large sarcophagus where that diamond you had taken from the Hall of Kings is embedded into the center of the stone. And you turn, you see these hands come up, Marfin's hands. You see that you are looking through Marfin's eyes. You watch as he looks through this area. He's pulling out books, muttering to himself. You can't quite understand what he's saying. You're not getting a full picture of it. But you are looking around. You see journals, countless journals, dates. You're reading them, centuries between them. You, you can't believe how much literature there is in here and how little it makes sense. How could there be all of these old texts, all these old dates? He's flipping through journals. Again, difficult to read what's actually being written between the fact that it's like a wizard's handwriting and perhaps some sort of code. But you're reading, why can't I remember? Why can't I remember? Pulling books, looking everywhere. Is there anything you want to do? I guess I will call out Marfin's name with like my psyche and see if that does anything to see if I, as Marfin, like, notice it. You call out. Marfin! You see he suddenly stops, freezes. Your vision, following his eyes, looks around, scanning the space, paranoid, looking around, can't figure out where the voice came from. It's me, Zola. Are you calling me? Looks around, doesn't see his phone. No. Uh, well, it's a collect call. Where are you? Um, somewhere. In magic, I think. Hey, look. If there was something that you weren't telling me, you would... You would tell me, right? He pauses. Zola, what is this about? I... I had a bad dream, and I don't know, I... I ended up here. Um... Look, I, I'm, I'm very busy right now. There's a lot going on. The store's in danger. Flay is coming. If I had anything to tell you, I would. What if you didn't know? Where would you hide something from yourself, Marfin? Why would you hide something from yourself? There's a strange kind of like, like glitching noise in your own head, in Marfin's head. His vision kind of blurs a little bit and you he closes, squints. You feel your body kind of being suddenly pulled from there, but as if there's a hand on your back pulling you out of his psyche. I. I, what are you, I don't understand. What are you talking about? What's going on, Zola? Where are you? Call me when you can. You feel yourself yanked out of this dream, <gasps> gasping for breath as you awaken the morning light coming through the trees. You look down, dimensional shackles around your wrists. Telegio standing above you. Chief Adrahan will be very interested in you, little one. And that's where we'll end our episode today. Fucking hell, Noah.
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Try Not to Die. A special thanks, of course, to our Eldritch patrons. If you would want to become an Eldritch patron uh, and have a little input on how I des- how how much punishment I deserve for the things I put Lisa through today, that's where to do it. So sign up right there, patreoncom slash Pod. Also, I should just say it now on air while we're here. Zola has leveled up, so you get a level from the torture I put you through. I'm taking a little wizard level, guys, but I'll tell you more about it later. I'm not really in the mood right now. Ooh, we are going to have a fun hangout after this. (laughs) I don't really know how we're just going to hang out in the living room and smoke weed after this, Noah. Well, you still technically got to show me how to take care of Toad tonight. So, you know, there's a little bit of a breather. Anyways, Lisa, any last minute plugs? Um, Listen to our friend's show, Chosen Ones. It's really great. (laughs) My friend Cassie makes it. It's a better D&D show than this one will ever be. I hate it here. Uh, I will. You know what? I'll plug. I'll, in that case, if we're plugging shows that are better than us, I'll plug Chasm Quest. They just posted some awesome lore information. Oh yeah, check it out. Really, really. I mean, I read it today. I don't know if Andrew's caught up when he'll when he'll hear this, but um, it was such a cool way of breaking down how they interpret the various planes of yeah, existence. Yeah, I saw that. They're like ne- a plane, like nesting kind of Russian doll. Yes, and like an, there's like an, a nothingness space. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so cool. So um, mm, I don't know you. anything about a nothingness You don't know space. nothing about Void. <laughs> well, thank you once again for listening to Try Not to Die. Oh, you know, I will also say, throwing in on top of the Patreon plug is where at this point it's probably already released. Uh, we made a Gorgonzola playlist. A, a yes. playlist that is... Uh, you know, if Zola were listening to a playlist in the morning, her emotions turn into music. This is what she listened to. So you can find it on our Patreon in the, which tier are we putting in? <laughs> I think we said uh, the $1 tier. Nice. Still in squad. Join our Patreon at whichever tier you prefer. Yeah. And you'll be able to access that the playlist. And yes. you can hear what I'm listening to on the subway in the morning. Honestly, this is, we haven't ever declared it in canon, but I want you all to picture Zola using her speaking stone like we all use our phones <laughs> in the morning playing little tunes. Um, so yeah, once again, thank you so much for listening. And until next time, try not to die. All hail our eldritch patrons! Especially Anita, Ashley, Becca B, Colleen, Eclair, Elana, Emily, Jacob, James, Joey, Kate, Leo, May, Morgan, Nat, Nicola, Page, Roni, Sahara, and of course, our producer Patty, Patrick Brandstetter, and producer Daddies, Becca Mount, and Rose Evelyn Campbell. We thank you for these podcasting powers and promise to raise hell in your names. Until next time, try not to die. Thank you.